We're in Matthew 15 today. If you have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter number 15. And uh, today we're talking about Jesus as the Savior of the world. Jesus is Savior of the world. And uh, that is good news for us. I'm thankful that he's just not a national savior, uh, but that he's savior of the world. That's where we are this morning, Matthew 15, 21 through 28. Been walking through different encounters with Jesus Christ, moments with the master, and just these meetings with him. And uh, so many lessons to be learned. Each one is a little bit different, a little bit unique. And so uh, this morning, it's an, it's, uh, I'm excited about the lessons being learned. You know, I thought about... Uh, lessons being learned and just being a lifelong learner. I pray to God uh, that I would be a lifelong learner. You know, uh, we have the potential. We were born. Uh, uh, once, the, once you're born until the moment you die, uh, of course, there are sometimes variables that get in the way, but I believe that we can be lifelong learners from the time you're born until the time that you die. And uh, even then, even then, if I am a lifelong learner, in the end, I still don't know it all. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, I mean, I've got that potential to still learn. Now, I know that there are some people that you meet along the way. They're really fast learners because they're know-it-all really young. But nonetheless, we don't know it all. We have room to grow. And I want to be that lifelong learning person. In fact, what happens to us if we're not careful is sometimes we feel like we might know it all. In fact, uh, isn't it interesting, when you come to church, it, uh, uh, it all depends on the approach with which you come as to how sometimes you leave. In fact, uh, if you come and you, and, and you already know it all, then a lot of times what happens is that lends itself to just basically a spirit of criticism. I've already heard everything before. I'm just here to tell you how well you're doing. And, uh, and, and, and so they just kind of exercise that gift of criticism, which that's fine. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, as some others will come to church and, and, and sit through the same uh, uh, opportunities, and, and, they, and they come and they say, man, I just want to hear the voice of God, and they go away full and satisfied simply because, man, God is there. And so I pray that I would be a lifelong learner, uh, that God would always be teaching me something new. In this particular passage of Scripture, although we do have a literal encounter, and we're going to talk about the encounter that happens, there is some lessons that Jesus Christ is teaching uh, uh, his apostles. In fact, he wants them to understand that, hey, listen, I'm not just a national savior. I'm not just here for the Jew, but I am savior of the world. And that is a lesson that was difficult for the Jewish people to learn. In fact, all the way over into the book of Acts, after the ascension of Jesus Christ, they were still struggling with, do we allow the Gentiles, do we allow the Samaritans, do we allow the others to be a part of this kingdom work. And so Jesus is teaching them that, again, I'm the Savior of the world. Why was it so difficult for them to learn? Because they thought that they knew. They had expectations. And if we're not careful, sometimes we have those expectations, and it creates a difficulty for us to learn, for us to grow. And so that's exactly what was happening with these people. Jesus Christ wants them to understand that he was Savior of the world. In fact, throughout Scripture, that's why he came. It wasn't just for the Jew, but it was 
for the entire world. Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 3 is the Abrahamic covenant in the Old Testament. And he says, I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And then if you look back to the end of the book, Revelation chapter number 5, verse number 9. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So he is indeed Savior of the world. But before we get into the text this morning, I want to ask a simple question. Because although he is Savior of the world, I need to ask you, is he your Savior? Is Jesus Christ your Lord and your Savior? You know, a lot of times if we're not careful, we can just be a religious person. Uh, but have I been born again? Would I say that he's my Savior and he is my Lord? With that question in mind, let's read the text, Matthew 15, beginning down in verse number 21 and following. The Bible says, Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. He did not answer her a word. His disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. Verse 24. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good or proper to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus said to her, O oh, woman, your faith is great, and it shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Faith, saving faith, what does it look like? We're going to talk about this morning because the Bible is so clear. It takes faith. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter number 11 and in verse number 6, Hebrews 11, verse number 6, the Bible says it uh, like this, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us we're saved by grace through faith. It's not by works. We can't attain our salvation. God extends his grace and we respond to that grace, that gift, by faith, receiving eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. Got to have faith in order to be saved. And so when we're talking about saving faith, and what does it look like? Because it's interesting, two different times, and I'm going to get there later, uh, uh, but twice in the scriptures, he commends, Jesus commends two different people for their faith. He says, oh, how great is your faith? How great is your faith? And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But what does saving faith really look like? And so, number one, I want you to notice the direction of saving faith. The direction of saving faith in verses number 21 and in 22, Jesus uh, went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region 
came out and began to cry out. And it goes on from there. But when you're talking about this area that's being described as some 40 miles away from the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus primarily was ministering during his earthly ministry, and so he has moved outside, in fact, way beyond the, the Jewish borders into Gentile territory. That's where he finds himself in this story, and so he's taking his apostles, and there's several reasons why he goes out there, uh, uh, but, but, but I would say they're all speculative, but nonetheless, uh, he, he, I, I believe he's taking his apostles out there for these specific moments so that he can teach them an incredible lesson that, hey, listen, these people, I have come for them as well. When you're talking about the Gentile territory, this was an area, in fact, when you're looking at the area, it was an area <clears throat> where Jezebel happened to be. Jezebel and Ahab, remember that story? Uh, in other words, this is a, a wicked place, a lost place. That's what was, it, it was a place where they were marked by saying, hey, we're going to kill the prophets of God. In fact, it was the birthplace of Baal worship. But isn't it interesting that here we have a woman uh, living in a lost land, a wild woman living in a lost land who simply says, hey, our gods aren't good enough. They're just not delivering. It took a long time. If you look back to the Old Testament and see what happened there, when you're talking about uh, 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 this Baal worship, it was Baal where Elijah had the showdown. You remember in the Old Testament, there's a showdown that happened between Elijah and the prophets of Baal, and it said, hey, you guys call on your God. And they went and they started calling on their God, and they started dancing and calling on their God and cutting themselves and calling on their God, and nothing happened. And then all of a sudden, Elijah said, hey, take that sacrifice and douse it with water. And he called on the name of God, and God Almighty delivered fire from heaven and lapped up the sacrifice. Just simply saying, hey, there is only one God. There's no God like our God. And so you have this woman that came from that land, but she had a desperate need, and she knew that, man, the ways of our people just don't work. I need an answer. And so she came. There was no hope for her in that land. And so she came out of that land as a beautiful picture. That's exactly what happens with saving faith. We turn away from the ways of the world and to Jesus Christ. That's what repentance means. You see, there's a lot of folks that they just want to add Jesus Christ to the mess in which they live. And there's repentance that's part of our salvation process. It's the change of direction. It's the direction of our faith where I say, man, I'm not going to live for the ways of the world anymore. I'm not going to live for my own ways. But from this point forward, I'm turning to Jesus. Why? Because I want him to be not only my Savior, but my Lord. Therefore, I'm going to follow him. I'm turning away. There's a direction involved in Faith And this woman left the ways of the world and turned to Jesus Christ. It's interesting. In fact, it's not interesting. I would say it's very troubling when we see people today in the church, raised in the church, and all of a sudden, man, they're saying, hey, I've been on this road for a long time. Let me just turn away from this road. You have a woman that recognizes, man, the greatest need of my daughter is spiritual. Do you know, moms and dads, that your child is entrusted to you by God. It is a stewardship for which we give an account. And my question to parents today is, do you recognize that the number one priority is spiritual in your child's life? I mean, we do a lot of stuff physical. I mean, we want to make sure they eat, right? I mean, it's crazy the, the, the lengths that we go to 
to make sure we take care of them physically. And, and, and rightfully so, that is needs, and we do need to take care of them. We do need to make sure they eat your green beans or whatever. But they also need to know that there is a God in heaven that loves them, and Jesus Christ has a plan and a purpose for your life, and it's everything. I will do everything under my possible care to teach and to train up my child. Is it a priority? This woman responded by faith. She turned. Her direction changed. And it wasn't just faith in faith. You see, there's a lot of people that say, well, as long as you believe, as long as you just believe. Well, no, it's not just as long as you just believe. It's, it's the object of your faith has everything to do with whether or not your faith will stand. Does that make sense? I mean, I mean the object of your faith better be able to deliver because it doesn't matter how much faith you got, you can put actions behind faith and it still fail if the object fails. What are you talking about? <clears throat> Y'all ever see Mary Poppins? <laughs> of course you did. Somewhere along the way, you saw Mary Poppins, right? <clears throat> I can remember when I was a little boy, I, I saw Mary Poppins, right? I remember practically perfect in every way, whatever. And, uh, and, and, and you remember, remember, remember in the part of the show where she comes floating down with that umbrella? Serious comes floating in there and I was like that is the coolest thing I was a little kid I said man I'm gonna try it <laughs> and, and I got an umbrella and I climbed up on the roof of our house and I jumped I had faith I had faith but can I tell you the object of my faith it didn't it didn't hold me up near about broke my ankles when I hit the ground <laughs> it's not just as long as you believe. Just pick a religion, anyone. No, there's only one way to be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You see, you can be sincere in your faith, but if your faith is misplaced, if it's in anything other than Jesus Christ, it won't stand the test of time. Only one way to be saved, and it's through Jesus Christ. This lady recognized and she turned away and turned to <clears throat> Jesus Christ. The right direction of her faith. It goes on from there. Verse number 22. Her confession as she cries out, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, son of David. And she's crying out. It's interesting when you look at her cries. Have mercy on me, son of David. It's, it's, it's recognizing again that I, I do believe that you are the Messiah. Well, there was a problem. The problem was she wasn't a Jew. And so she's crying out, and she says, Oh, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, again, we are not sure exactly why Jesus was silent after the first cry. But it's interesting when you look at it, the text of Scripture, Jesus was silent. And, 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 and although we don't know those answers, it's possible, maybe, <clears throat> just simply saying, hey, I'm not saying anything. But, but at the end of the day, you've got to be careful because sometimes what happens is, in fact, this was a struggle that they had. As a Gentile person, you don't have to become a Jew to be saved. As a lost person, you don't have to become a Baptist to be saved. You don't have to become a Methodist to be saved. You come to Jesus just as you are, just as you are. It's not about, I need to get religion, I need to get a religious practice. No, you just come to Jesus just as you are. 
In fact, the Bible says in Romans chapter number 5 and in verse number 8 that God demonstrates his great love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for us because we were good. He didn't die for us because we got religious. He didn't die for us because we pray a prayer. He died for us because we were sinners in need of a Savior and we could not fix ourselves. And so he came and he's just saying, hey, you just come just as you are. But if you look at the text of Scripture, it's interesting because although Jesus was silent, then all of a sudden the apostles picked up on the silence and said, Oh, hey, can you tell her to go away? Because she's really making things uncomfortable for us. She, she just keeps on hollering. She doesn't know how to act around you, Jesus. You know, that's where the apostles are. How many times have we walked through different stories, encounters with Jesus Christ, where those that are following Jesus Christ are made very uncomfortable by people who are approaching him just as they are? And you know, if we're not careful, what happens in churches is a lot of times we want the world to become like us before you join us. And the fact of the matter is, you have people that are living, they're saved, and you have people that are dead. They're not going to act alike. They're not going to talk alike. They're not going to be excited about the same things. But nonetheless, you bring those dead people so that Jesus can touch them right where they are. They don't act like us. They don't look like us. They don't smell like us. Well, that's okay. Sometimes that's a good thing. <laughs> but they said, hey, get her away. You know, I was thinking about that text of Scripture, and I wonder... How do must grieve the heart of God when we get selfish with the Savior? I mean, we can see it in other people, right? I mean, we can see it in this story. And this wasn't the first time uh, that God's grace is, is we, we, we want to make that determination. Who, who's worthy of his grace? I mean, you go back to the Old Testament, Jonah. Remember the story of Jonah in the Old Testament? Remember the story of Jonah in the Old Testament? God said, I want you to go and preach to the city of Nineveh. Bunch of wicked, sorry, pagan people. And Jonah's like, man, I don't want to go there. Because I know that your grace is sufficient, but I don't think they're worth it. He said, I don't want to go. And when he finally did go, remember? Hey, <clears throat> y'all better repent because God's judgment's fixing to fall. And they repented and had the greatest revival recorded in the history of mankind. And we look at Jonah and we look at the apostles and we say, wow, how selfish they were with the Savior of the world. But I wonder if anybody could read our story and read our book about me and about you. Do they see one who's sharing the Savior with the rest of the world? See, Jesus said, I didn't come just for you, but for the world. And once you taste of his goodness and experience his saving grace you become his ambassador he didn't entrust that to the angels because <clears throat> they didn't experience what you've experienced if you're saved he says i want you to be my witnesses i want you to be my ambassadors and so the apostles here in this text of scripture are saying hey send her away verse number 23 Verse 24, it's an interesting when you get down to where Jesus begins responding because it seems a bit odd how he responds. Verse 24, but he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep 
of the house of Israel. And if we read that as a statement, it looks as though he's saying, hey, I didn't come for the Gentile, but only for the Jew. But I believe that he's speaking to, we don't have the privilege when we are reading letters off of a page to hear voice inflection. We don't have the privilege to see facial expression. I believe in that moment and that first response, I don't believe he's even talking to the lady. I believe he's talking to the apostles who are telling a Gentile woman desperate for salvation coming to the right place. And they're saying, hey, send her away from here. And Jesus says, oh, am I just here for the lost sheep of Israel? I mean, that's, that's what I came for. I came, I came only for the lost sheep of Israel. And in that moment, that woman continued to come. And that woman continued to cry out, have mercy on me. And Jesus turns from his apostles to the woman and continues to speak. And the Bible says it like this. <clears throat> Verse 26, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Verse 27, but she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Again, when you're talking about the confession of her saving faith, the persistence of her, she was very persistent in her approach, was she not? In fact, when you're looking at Jesus Christ and his response, even to her in that moment, it's like, man, he doesn't understand church growth 101, right? You don't ever offend anybody no matter what. But he was teaching truth. He was teaching priority to her in the moment. But her persistence is definitely admirable. In fact, uh, God help us to be persistent in the same way. The Bible says over in Luke's gospel, Luke in chapter number 11 and verses 5 through 8. Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 8. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend... Uh, Lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs." This woman was persistent in her asking. And Jesus Christ, in his response, was not being derogatory, but simply saying, hey, there is a priority to the gospel. I mean, there's a priority to my plan. It's not that I'm exclusive to, again, the Jews. Uh, They're not the end, but they are the means to the end. And at first, salvation first comes to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For example, it's kind of like feeding your household pet. He's talking here. There there are, by the way, two different words used in the Greek text for uh, dogs when you're talking about dogs. One is a mangy scavenger that walks the streets. The other would be a domesticated animal. And he's saying the domesticated animal. In other words, it's kind of like family. It's it's those pets that you love. But you've got to be mindful. This, again, this text is written before Alpo dog food or whatever dog food you use these days. 
Uh, this was written in a day where there wasn't dog food, but rather <clears throat> we feed the animals from the table scraps. I mean, that's how I grew up. <laughs> we, we just feed the animals from the table scraps. And, uh, and, and, and so he's just saying, hey, listen, this is a matter of priority with the gospel. In fact, Romans chapter number 1, the Bible says it like this, down in verse number 16, the Apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's power of salvation for all who believe, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. In fact, over in Acts chapter number 1 and verse number 8, uh, when we're talking about the mission of the church. And when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, uh, uh, you shall receive power, and you shall be my witnesses, first in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then the uttermost parts of the world. It's a priority, and that's simply what he's saying. He's saying, hey, it is a priority with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse number 27, But she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Her confession was marked with great, great humility. <clears throat> she wasn't demanding. She never defended. She just simply said, hey, I have nowhere else to turn but to you. And I need you. I need you. And that was her cry. And that's where we need to be in dealing with our Savior. The Bible says, Psalm 51, verse number 17. Psalm 51, verse number 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And that's exactly where this woman was. <clears throat> and Jesus goes on to commend her for her faith. He commends her for her faith in verse number 28. <clears throat> Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. <clears throat> you know, it's interesting when Jesus commends two different people for their faith in Scripture. And the two different people commended for their faith in Scripture happen to be Gentile people. When you're talking about uh, uh, being commended for their faith. The centurion, the Roman centurion, and then here in this text. And so the question's got to be asked, well, what made their faith great? Uh, uh, because, for example, what about Peter? Peter stepped out of the boat and walked on water. <laughs> what about Peter? I mean, wasn't his faith great? Well, well I believe, I believe that, that, that their greatness is, is directly linked to the amount of revelation that they have been given. They didn't have the benefit, they didn't have the blessing of being able to be with Jesus Christ and see firsthand his miracles. They didn't hear firsthand his sermons being preached, but nonetheless, what they had is they had... <clears throat> What they had <clears throat> is second-hand account. When you're talking about this woman, this woman did not come from the land where she was able to be privileged enough to be a part of the tabernacle. She was never in the tabernacle. She didn't hear the sermons. She didn't see the miracles. But she heard. And it was to that that she responded and said, Oh, I have nowhere else to turn but to you. And so the question's got to be asked. We have the privilege of having divine revelation. We've got the Word of God. We've got the stories of God. We've heard the sermons from Christ. We've seen the miracles in Scripture. 
And the question is, how have you responded to him? How have you responded to him? Are we lacking in faith? Or have we said, oh, I have nowhere else to turn but to you, and I trust you completely. You ever called on his name before to be saved? And if not, I'm encouraging you today to call on his name while you may. Would you do me a favor and join me for a time of prayer this morning? As we pray this morning, we're going to pray, and after we pray, we'll sing a song. And When the song is finished singing, we're inviting you to come today. Maybe you hear this morning and you say, hey, I've never called on the name of Jesus. I'm not saved. I don't have a relationship with him. Man, may this be the day that you call on his name. What about you, brothers and sisters? Have you been faithful to share with the world Jesus Christ? He is the Savior of the world. May he find us faithful. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. And Lord Jesus, I ask this morning that you would just have your way during this time. Oh God, have your way. Search our hearts, search our minds. Father, God, if there be anybody in this place never called on your name, that today would be the day of salvation. God, we need you desperately. Father, we need you. Oh God, search us. Search us. Thank you, God, that you sent your son into this world. And that, Jesus, you willingly laid down your life on the cross, shedding your blood for our sins. Father, thank you for salvation. We're so excited today to have a risen Savior that, God, although they buried you in a grave, three days later, you rose. (laughs) God, search us today and have your way during these moments. God, thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we sing the song?